everyone, welcome back to Decoding Dragons, where we break down all things House the Dragon. We're your hosts as always, Liza and Michelle, and we're spilling the royal tea and breaking down the fire for every episode. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about what happened in House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 7, named Driftmark. What did you think of this week's episode? Um, I There were some parts that I really, really enjoyed. So um, for one, I really enjoyed that we got to see Vagar again, as always. But um, as much as I don't like Aemond, everybody knows I'm, I'm not Team Green because of Aemond for several reasons that have not happened on screen yet. But um, I really enjoyed that moment for him. Like he got to ride Vagar and we got to see basically an entire flight sequence. And I enjoyed that moment where he and Vagar basically agreed that he, that Vagar would let her, let him ride her. So, um, it's actually very interesting because the command they give basically, um, to let the dragon know to listen to them is very, very similar to what we saw with Arya in Bravos, which is the, um, the Valomagulis and Valodahiris. So, um, cause you can kind of hear them say a word very similar to, if not the same as, um, Dohiris. So when they're speaking to the dragon, which I think mm. may as well translate to, please listen to me and don't burn me alive. So <laughs> right. I thought that was really, really nice. Yeah. Because Vagar was about to scorch him. She was close. She was close. So, um, but it was <laughs> nice, um, seeing her basically agree to let him be her new rider. And then we actually got to see a new dragon, which is Aegon the Second's dragon, Sunfire. So in the big episode, in the big episode, in the big shot where they are panning up to Driftmark. And um, you kind of see everyone gathered there. You can see a golden, sort of shimmery-looking dragon up, I think, near the on the right side. And that would be Sunfire. And Sunfire is supposed to be one of the most beautiful dragons that House Targaryen ever had. So um, I think they definitely, definitely did that justice. And I'm looking forward to getting some more close-ups. But for like an intro shot, I was like, oh, hey, that's Sunfire. So that was really, really cool. Um, what did you think of the episode? Yeah, well, so it was really neat to see five dragons in that shot. I will open by saying I actually did not like this episode. Um, I, the saving grace of it for me was watching the after the episode where they said that this was the first episode that they filmed because a lot of it to me was kind of disconnected. The characters weren't jiving. Um, and as a funeral scene, I can kind of see that, but it, to me, it did not fit the flow of the rest of the season. Um, the whole series mm. was going on a really good pace, and this one just kind of felt disconnected and jumbled, and I wasn't a big fan of it. I did really enjoy seeing five dragons together. That was super freaking cool. The drift mark in itself was absolutely stunning. It's beautiful all around, uh, inside, outside, everything. Um, the Vagar scene with Aemon riding Vagar was really cool because... The music was a callback to Daenerys and the Game of Thrones um, see, uh, score. So there was a lot of callbacks to that, which was pretty neat. I know there was a lot that happened with the story, and I know there was, like, you know, lines being drawn, but it, it, it was not a good episode to me. I get it. I get it. And I did kind of pick up on that a little bit. I sort of chalked it up to, like you said, it being a, like, it was a sad occasion for everyone. And for another thing, I thought it was really interesting seeing uh, the funeral traditions on Driftmark. So we get to see, um, we got to see Tywin's funeral earlier in Game of Thrones. So it was nice seeing the different proceedings um, in different parts of Westeros. So I thought that was really nice. But I sort of chalked up the um, 
slightly disconnect in behavior as something, you know, because of the sad occasion. It does make sense, though, if that was the first episode they filmed. I also chopped it up to Damon, just being Damon, because he has, <laughs> he, um, Matt Smith is playing him. <laughs> Matt Smith is playing him with this, like, expressionless face, which is really interesting because you never know what he's thinking. And it did work out pretty well in this one because you're just like, what is going on? Yeah, and even... I don't know, just the, I, I know people can grieve in their own way. And even like the, the kids um, kind of seemed a little disconnected from everybody. One thing I did really like from the funeral scene was Rainey's and Rhaenyra's very, very brief scene together yeah. where it was kind of like, ooh, like why is Rainey's kind of giving her the cold shoulder? But it's, I don't think it's necessarily the cold shoulder. I think it was more of a, I understand what you're doing. I'm not going to say I like it, but I'm okay with it, question mark. <laughs> yeah, and then you have that scene where she's talking to Corlys about um, giving the succession of Driftmark to Reyna and Vela. And um, so that might have been a little bit where that tension was stemming from as well. And which is actually sort of what's going on in our next episode. So when we get to our Dragon Dream section, um, the Driftmark succession will come up again. Um, but before we really dive into it, we got a really interesting piece of information in the news on the internet. So, um, and there is a possibility, disclaimer, there is a possibility that we are actually going to see Aegon's conquest on screen. So um, for a while now, the idea has been circulating that House the Dragon is going to be an anthology about House Targaryen and not just the Dance of the Dragons. But um, there was a recent interview where um, I believe one of the showrunners or someone close to the show mentioned that they are thinking about doing Aegon's conquest. So while it is still up in the air, nothing is confirmed, and it's not officially being worked on yet, it just made it that much more possible that we'll get to see Aegon and Visenya and Rhaenys, like these legendary figures, and Balerion and Vhagar in her prime, and Meraxes on screen, which I think is going to be absolutely phenomenal because we have heard so much about these characters. It would be very, very nice to see them on screen in action. And the, the Aegon and Visenya and Rhaenys get into some stuff while they're in Westeros, so it'd be very interesting. Yeah, one thing that was going to be really cool about that and something that I've been learning about dragons now in this universe is uh, Vagar is so big here because she, in the series, because she they grow until they die, essentially. So they just get big, bigger and bigger and bigger. So she's huge right now. So if we do see Aegon's Conquest, she's actually going to be a little bit smaller. She's like 130 years old in House of the Dragon. But that's also why you kind of see her struggling to kind of hold her weight. Because yeah. she's older um, and she is heavy. <laughs> like, she's big. It's hard for her to fly and get up to her. But one thing that I'm interested in, and I don't know if she's going to last all the way through Dance of the Dragons, but if she does partake in Dance of the Dragons, she's going to be at a little disadvantage because she's going to be a little bit slower because she's so big. But then once she gets going, it's like, woof get out the way um, because all the other younger dragons are going to be much faster and uh, much more agile, but she's going to be like a force to be reckoned with. It's, it's cool to see that kind of difference. And you bring up a really good point because I think Otto mentions it. Um, Aemon may or may not know exactly what he did when he got Vagar on Team Green because Vagar is the oldest and strongest living dragon. And I believe the older they get, the hotter their fire burns as well. And so now the dragon riders on Team Green 
as far as dragon size and experience, um, they're kind of, they're a little outweighing the dragon riders on Team Black on Team Rhaenyra's side, right? Except for Caraxes. Caraxes has some battle experience as well. But Vagar being on Team Green is a huge, huge deal when it comes to turning the tide of the war. So um, definitely keep an eye on those proceedings. And with that dragon information in mind, we are going to jump into our blood section and really get to going on the juice, the tea, and details. So, speaking of Vagar being on Team Green and Amund actually claiming his dragon, I have to make sure I say Amund and not Amun because they're two separate people and, like, Amund came before this timeline, right? So I'm just like, Amund, right? Right. Um, so, speaking of all of that, what did you think about Amund's first actual flight with Vagar? So, I do appreciate that he was determined, <laughs> Because everybody's been making fun of him that he doesn't have a dragon. So he's like, watch me. I'm going to go get a dragon. Um, I also found it super interesting that claiming a dragon is not necessarily, you know, the Targaryen tradition is to put the egg in the crib and have them like grow up together, essentially. That's not necessarily how you get a dragon. You know, like it's not your dragon necessarily just because you kind of grew up with it. Um I like that we saw claiming a dragon could be just that, like, he's, she's my dragon now. I claimed her, I rode her. And you could see, like you mentioned earlier, Aemond and Vagar kind of making that realization, like, all right, I guess you're my rider now. Um, I do like the big scene, and it was more of a fan service scene to me because we've been waiting so long to see Vagar on screen. We've heard so much about her. Um, we very much was a fan service flight of this is Vagar, this is her wingspan, this is how big she is. I had the issue that a lot of people had in season eight of Game of Thrones with the long night of like, couldn't you raise the brightness just a little bit? Like, let me see it a little bit more. <laughs> oh yeah, I agree. I was there it there were moments where the um the shadows were like really strong, you know, on <laughs> Eamon's face. And I was like, I really want to see it, but I think it was still much brighter than season eight was because, you know, I didn't have to change the settings on my TV to be able to see it. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that um, it was like a more natural looking darkness instead of where you could still see what was going on on screen and not just like can't see anything. But um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fan service. I love that shot of um, Vagar going flying next to the moon because it really gave like Valyrian vibes because Valyrian was supposed to be so large that um, entire towns were in his shadow. And so a friend of mine who was watching the show with me was like, that's a wallpaper right there. I was like, you damn right. That's a wallpaper. Yeah, that was a beautiful shot of her flying under the moon with the shadow and everything. Oh my gosh, it was so pretty. And I do want to say like last uh, episode, we were mentioning when Lena was riding Vagar, we saw, we thought they were like old old dragon hairs or something that was like flying next to her so apparently instead of like old dragon hairs um lena had created the netting to help her mount vagar and that's what aemond was using but apparently that's what was flying around with lena so we were wrong on that uh, it was just rope and netting that lena was using to help mount vagar because she was so big but I really appreciated that Vagar was being kind of an asshole because yeah, he, she was kind of like, I was sleeping and I was sleeping good. And now you're trying to get on me and make me ride. And so she like went straight up and almost flew him off. And then she was going straight down. And then she just became like kind of an asshole for a minute. And then she was like, okay, fine. 
Oh, right. I thought that was fantastic because it was like she was testing him and the shake she did, um, trying to, I guess, kind of seeing if he's really, if he's, if he's really here to stay on or not. Um, yes. A tiny little itty bitty Easter egg for what they may possibly have on screen in future seasons. So, um, I won't give away any more information because I'm trying to be careful with my season two and three spoilers. But, um, the dragon shake, as I like to call it, is definitely something to keep an eye out for. And in this episode, we also saw the knives come out and the lines being drawn. We saw the scene where Allison and Rhaenyra are, you know, at each other's throat, basically. And Rhaenyra catches the knife while she's, um, while Allison's on her way to, um, basically do an eye for an eye. So leading up to that, what had happened was they, um, Rhaenyra's children and Damon's children catch Aemon on his way back from, you know, flying Vagar for the first time. And what happens is I believe Aemon basically calls them bastards and obviously they're going to react accordingly for the insult and um luke and jace and bela and reyna all sort of jump aemond and um but aemond is a good fighter so he holds his own a little bit but it's no, it's a numbers game so he kind of gets his ass handed to him and then i think luke um takes a dagger and takes out aemond's eye so they go to talk to king viserys and he's like you need to tell me exactly where you heard this from and Aegon the Second's like, everyone knows. We don't have to hear it from anywhere. It's very, very plain. And um, I do have a few questions for you about that. But um, first, I wanted to bring up a fun, like, lore note. In the books, Rhaenys Targaryen actually has dark hair because she has Baratheon genes. So that's why in the books, um, there is a slight possibility, even though everyone knows it's not true, there was more of a possibility that Rhaenyra's sons could have been trueborn sons. Because their hair may have been a throwback gene to the Baratheon lineage. So hmm. in the in the show, it's very clear that's not the case because Rhaenys has silver hair in the show. And also, books and show, everyone knows that Rhaenyra's sons are not Laenor's. So it is just kind of a fun note and a slight change the show made. So when they're talking about how obvious it is that um, Luke and Jace and Joff in the future are, you know, not trueborn sons. It was a little more complicated in the books than it is in the show. So fun fact there. Um, but what did you think about the Rhaenyra and Alicent confrontation? And who do you think has the strongest claim to the throne? That's a really neat little tidbit there about Rhaenys' hair. Uh, is supposed to be dark. So that would kind of muddle, muddy the waters up a little bit. Um, logically and technically, if we're looking at who has the strongest claim to the throne, it would be Allison's children, unfortunately, even though they're little twats. Um, but <laughs> so technically, yes, I can understand why Allison is kind of hell bent on making it known that Rhaenyra's children are not Lenors. Um, because technically they would be bastards and that is frowned upon in this universe. But the Rhaenyra and Allison confrontation, uh, because I wasn't a big fan of the episode, I feel like it was a little forced. Um, I understand that Allison is at her wit's end with all of it. And yes, I mean, her son did get maimed, technically. But it was not your son's jump to my son at all. Uh, gosh, I don't know. It just felt a little forced. Um, I didn't feel like there was enough screen time between the Allison and Rhaenyra petty to reach that level of a confrontation. 
It did escalate really fast. It reminded me of Cersei in the episode where they, um, where she's talking to Robert Baratheon and asks him to kill Lady because, um, even though I think Nymeria, Arya's direwolf bit Joffrey, mm-hmm. I think Cersei had them kill Lady instead. So that's they kind did. of what it reminded me of. And I know that Alicent and Cersei are not the same, but as far as like thematic tone and, um, you know, in universe references, that's sort of what it reminded me of. So, and you can kind of see, like you said, that Allison is at her wit's end. Viserys is being willfully blind. And literally everyone knows that um, Jason Luke, I don't know where little um, Joffrey was in this episode. He's probably still a Mm-mm. toddler. So um, I think, you know, her, she was just desperate. And I love that moment where they really held on the dagger because I think it was a reminder to Rhaenyra, like, you're carrying more than your own pride you're carrying like your family legacy and this prophecy that is supposed to be fulfilled through the Targaryen line. And Danny is actually, obviously, sort of directly descended from Rhaenyra and Daemon. So, spoiler. <laughs> but right. um, so I thought that was fantastic how they held on the dagger and it was just kind of like a way to cement what Rhaenyra had decided to do. So I also think that that was a good reminder to Rhaenyra that like like you're saying, it's a, it's a much bigger scenario. Like, Alicent wasn't aware of what's on the dagger, and it, it's just a, a bigger um, picture at that moment than Alicent even realizes. And I agree. I thought it was really interesting. That's one of the reasons that I'm so excited for Aegon's Conquest, if we do get it, because we have that confirmation that um, the Song of Ice and Fire prophecy has come down through Aegon's line. And while mm. if Aegon II was named heir, Viserys may have told him, I think that having that prophecy on her shoulders just solidify what Rhaenyra believed was her right to do. So with that in mind and the big prophecy in mind, we will absolutely let you guys sound off in the comments about who you think has the stronger claim to the throne. Because based on the laws of the time, it is Aegon II. But based on Viserys' wish and um, Rhaenyra's station as named heir, it's Rhaenyra's. And also, I've just, I honestly think that Rhaenyra has cooler people on her team, in my opinion. <laughs> like, she's got Corlys on her team. She's got Damon on her team. She's got Rhaenys on her team. Mm-hmm. So, I just think that Rhaenyra has, like, if we're going team to team here, I, th- I think Rhaenyra's got the cool people, right? So, um, but we are going to jump into some more lore behind the story, and we're going to jump into our fire section and really get into the much more nuanced details. Okay, so we have gotten into the funeral a little bit and how it was the first scene that they had shot, or at least the first episode that they had shot, but it was super awkward on screen like it it just didn't um it didn't really portray very well onto the screen so i wanted to see if there was much lore on the funeral in the book um were there easter eggs that were laid out because it seemed more like a fan service scene to the book of all of these secret things and unspoken things are happening and it just didn't portray well so is there much lore behind the funeral scene in the book than there was on screen um, there is a little bit. So there's not a lot of detail around the funeral, but there is some. So I'll best, I'll do my best to give you um, all that I remember. I do remember that it was one of the time. It was one of the times that many many dragons were gathered in one place, and we see some of that with Sunfire. I'm sure Cyrax was some Cyrax and Caraxes were around, and Vagar. So um, and I think Helena's dragon Dreamfire would have been there too. Mm-hmm. Helena would have um, ridden Dreamfire there. 
So um, that was a big deal because you got to see the sh- opening shot of the um, castle at Driftmark with the dragons there. So that was some nice, like a world building shot, in my opinion. And then um, they definitely fleshed out some more of the tradition of Driftmark's funeral services. So that was interesting. But you do see some of the tension between Vaymond and Damon arising. So because Vaymond is the one basically speaking the words at Lena's funeral. And um, you can see everybody reacting to him like he's being long-winded. But I really liked the service. Like I thought it was like a wonderful tradition and tribute to their house. And then Damon starts chuckling somehow in the middle because they start making some pointed jabs. I think I think it was at Rhaenyra's children, so they start making some pointed jabs. But um sort of in our Dragon Dream section we're gonna get into a little more of the um drama and descent between Vaymond and Damon. So that's one thing to keep an eye on. Oh, and that makes sense that there's a little bit of strife between Vaymon and Damon because if you remember at the War of the Stepstones, when Vaymon was originally like it's Damon's fault that we're not winning. So there's probably some, some background, um, some history there of, of like not liking each other. Oh yeah. No, they have some strife. And I think we're going to see some of that for sure in the next episode. Cause um, when I saw the next episode preview, I had to um, kind of do some research. Cause it looks like one of those interim episodes where they have a major plot point, but some of it is kind of built up around that one plot point. So we will absolutely get into that. Um, but a little bit more of the lore behind the, funeral is that you get to see um i think it's jace and bela holding hands for a little bit in comfort so um for a little while jace and bela are actually betrothed because um targaryens you know uh once rhaenyra and daemon kind of get married they continue the tradition of their house and um you know plan to intermarry their children so you kind of see a little bit of that with uh jace and bela holding hands and then Let's see, what else would there have been? I think the most of everything that was built up, it was just um, some character choices, really. And speaking to that, though, I found it really interesting that apparently Aegon and Helena are betrothed now, even when Alice yes. is like, absolutely the fuck not. My kids are not going to do the Targaryen tradition and your kids are not going to marry me, my kids. But now let's betroth my two kids. <laughs> Yeah, so um, Aegon and Helena are betrothed. They do get married, and since we're in the fire section, they do have children. So um, I thought that was nice that they touched on that at this episode. So that is another bit of lore as far as they kind of gave us a heads up that that's going to go down. So they do bring that up. And I don't think Aemon ever... I don't know. Aemon, Aemon's romantic life is of interest in later seasons but i think we'll get to that part when we get to it his romantic life is uh it's a plot point <laughs> we're gonna okay. leave that there and keep moving but um that's about all the main lore i can think of that wouldn't have been um something that would have been made up to kind of fill in the interim and then um obviously you kind of see Rhaenyra and Damon get together and then they make their plans for Lenor later on. So that is in the book, but they handled it differently in the show. And I like how they did it in the show. That's a beautiful segue because okay. my next question for you <clears throat> was excuse me, was gonna be about Lenor. So we are in the fire section, so big spoilers if you haven't seen the episode. Um Lenor does apparently fake his death yeah. uh, at the end of the episode. So you see what you were just mentioning, Reyna and, or excuse me, Rhaenyra and Damon 
were planning this plot, apparently, with Carl, uh, with uh, Lenore's boyfriend. But they make a big scene out of it, and they make it seem like they're fighting and they're going to kill each other in the throne room of Corliss's throne room. But then at the end of the episode, Lenore has shaved his head. He is running away with Carl. So... It, it, in a way, do you feel like, well, first of all, is that the way it happened in the book? And then the second part of the question is going to be, do you feel like that was his way of helping Rhaenyra help, uh, helping Rhaenyra out getting what she wants essentially in her life? Those are all really good questions. So um, to answer the first one, it happened differently in the book. So um, Carl and Lenore get in a fight in, um, I think it's in Spicetown. And I believe Corlys goes to collect Lenore's body. So it's a very slim chance that um, it was a faked death in the books. I think he actually dies in the books. But I really like how they did it in the show. Like, um, for one, in the books, everyone kind of thinks that Damon paid Carl off to do it and then disposed of Carl afterwards. There'd be no witnesses in the book. That's at least the theory that I have. But in the show, um, Damon, you know, basically gives them both an opportunity to go across the narrow sea and make a life for themselves away from all the drama and problems at court. So, and then, you know, there are no, there, there's only a witness to make sure everyone thinks Lenore died. And then he and Carl can, you know, escape. They go out kind of the way, uh, Gendry and Sardavos did with the boat. That's kind of what it reminded me of. Yeah. So, um, so I liked how they handled it. I don't think we're going to see Lenore again because he doesn't really have sway over the events of the future in the story. So I don't think we're going to see him again, but it's nice knowing that he got to go somewhere and be happy. And Rhaenyra mentions that she does, you know, she does love Lenore. They spent a lot of time together. He's been a good father to her children. He um, hasn't always been there, but when he has been there, he's done his best to do the right thing and do his duty. And I think that she wanted what was best for him. And I think this gives Damon a bit of a redeeming quality because so far he's been very morally gray, sort of villainy, but not quite. So I think this gives him a bit of a redeeming aspect. And I think that was kind of nice how they handled that as well. I'm happy that Lenor gets to go and live his best life. So in the book, then, if Lenor actually does die, does Sea Smoke have um, a future storyline or future plot point or does have a future writer? So I guess Lenor is just leaving Sea Smoke behind. I think he's going to have to um, because, yes, Sea uh, Smoke does have a future writer, I believe. So that's actually a really good point. Sea Smoke <laughs> is probably going to have to be left behind. And also, he kind of couldn't take a dragon with him if he wanted to maintain cover because, you know, he shaved well, his right. hair to help keep his yeah. cover. So if you have a big old dragon flying around, you've got a Targaryen somewhere. Yeah. He's going to have to maintain the shaved head. Yeah, yeah. So I think... um because I believe Sea Smoke does have another rider in the future. So poor little Sea Smoke is going to have to be left behind So um, to have um, their next rider. So so Sea Smoke is this season's uh, ghost. <laughs> in the future, Sea Smoke's next rider's name is Adam Valerian. And so Adam is one of the dragon seas that are going to happen later on. And that would be like a lot to explain in this episode, but we will get into it um, when the dragon seeds come on screen. They are basically um, people with... Valyrian descent, like Targaryen, or, you know, in this case, Valyrian descent, who are capable of riding dragons because they need more dragon riders on Rhaenyra's team, right? So, um, mm -hmm. Adam Valyrian is one of the dragon seeds. Um, supposedly, 
he's one of Lenor's kids, but it's rumored he's one of Corlys's kids. So um, he's actually Sea Smoke's next rider. So yeah, so Sea Smoke won't be alone forever. Sea Smoke won't be lonely for long. Um, there's another rider coming Sea Smoke's way. It does kind of suck though for like Rainies and Gorlis. They think both of their kids have just died in the same week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I was thinking about that. That, that is going to be a secret to keep. And that's because uh, they're going to mourn Lenor, and Rhaenyra and Damon both know he's alive, but they can't tell him. So it's just going to be something else to add to the pile of secrets that Rhaenyra and Damon have kept together. But um, so we are actually going to go ahead and jump into the dragon dreams. So um, Michelle and I are both super busy these next few weeks. So these episodes may be a little on the shorter side, but do not worry. We are going to make sure we get into everything that's important per episode. So we have our next episode predictions and we're ready to jump into it. Okay, so we have officially completed the Year of the Red Spring with Lenor's supposed death. So, but he's out there living his best life right now. So the next thing you're going to see, based on the um, episode preview, uh, they mentioned that Corlys has fallen ill. So what happens is he gets um, very, very sick. In the books, it's with a fever. They might do something different. As with all this stuff, creative license is an option. So, um, but it brings up the question of secession for Driftmark. So since um, Jace, Rhaenyra's oldest son, and supposedly Laenor's oldest son, is supposed to inherit the Iron Throne, um, you know, traditionally it would go to Lucerys, or Luke that we call him. We call him Jace and Luke. So it would traditionally go to Luke. However, Vaymond, who we've seen on screen several times, challenges this, and he wants to be heir to Driftmark because of Rhaenyra's situation with her sons. Like, um, they are obviously not her true-born sons, so he challenges the secession and it's going to kind of put even more pressure on um, the fact that Jason Luke shouldn't be part of the secession for the Iron Throne or Driftmark. It's going to put even more pressure on the situation that everyone thinks they're bastards and just kind of double down on the tension and the drama we've been seeing. So in the book, what happens is Damon actually seizes and executes Vaymon. But we're going to see how it happens in the show, how the show handles it, because they have made some like some noteworthy deviations from the book mm -hmm. lore to the screen. And so far, I've liked them. I've been here for the changes they made. So we will see how the show handles it. But since there's been this long-running strife between Vaymond and Damon, I think it'll be interesting to kind of see how all that plays out. We also see a dinner. We see um like a Targaryen Valerian family dinner here a little bit because you've got um there's going to be another time jump. So I think the only actors that are changing in this time jump are the kids. So um I think Jason Luke's actors have jumped up in age and I think we might see like Joffrey now that he's old enough to be in the scene. And then we have a new Aegon and a new Aemond. And Aemond and his eye patch looks menacing. So I am, while I don't like the character, I am one of those people who I love to hate my hateable characters, right? Like I am, I am here to dislike a character. Like Crispy Crispin. I have, I have dubbed him Crispy Crispin. <laughs> he started out in some kind of situation that was somewhat understandable, but then he just kept going. And now I don't, now I remember why I did not like him in the book, right? So, um, I've called him Crispy Crispin, but I'm here to hate some hateable characters. It's a whole lot of fun, and Eamon is one of those characters I just can't stand. But I'm excited to be able to not stand him because he's got the look down, he's got the eye patch, he's got the smug smirk, he's got the 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 rude, mean way of saying shit. So I am I am excited to see adult Eamon. And Aegon still looks kind of like a twerp. 
that's just that's just my personal opinion <laughs> i am int- i uh, two things so i did appreciate that a amond was a good fighter it was surprisingly even though yeah it was a game of numbers but like he was holding his own so yeah. all of the bullying is kind of paying off and then the second they super not uh in relation to that was a kind of an easter egg for damon and rainier at the end um when they were doing the blood um ritual i guess you could say the, the, yeah something like that it was some sort yeah. of traditional targaryen blood ceremony something something yeah um their outfits that they're wearing is a callback to the dragon keepers and it's intentional because it's supposed to be such a traditional ceremony and thing that they're doing the valerian thing i think it's a valerian thing that they're doing the blood ceremony um it's a callback to the dragon keepers outfits because they are targaryens and they're gonna fight fire with fire that is so cool. And I love the theme of blood in this episode. I thought that was really nicely done. So um, it's sort of one of the traditions of House Targaryen because they mentioned that it's kind of in the way that um, Aegon got married to Visenya and Rhaenys. So mm-hmm. I think that was a really, really nice callback because it looked like it was on Dragonstone, etc. And um, I'm also very excited to see that family dinner because I think that that might be the dinner where... Um, it's either Aegon or Aemond makes a toast about the uh, about Luke and Jace being um, strong boys, and he weaves it into the toast, but it definitely sets tensions like boom. So you see someone getting slammed in the table in the episode preview. So I'm I bet a couple um, Westerosi coins that that's what happens in the next <laughs> episode. Um, and as we're in the Dragon Dream section, nobody has to worry about Corlys. He does recover and he does get better because he and Rainey's are. Um, should be at the council table for um, Rhaenyra when we see that big council at um, Dragonstone at the war table. So you don't have to be afraid for Corlys. We're just here to watch the drama unfold. <laughs> he's full. I feel like he's full of drama too. Between him and I, I like that him and Rhaenys have really good discussion, but I also feel like Rhaenys is kind of taking a turn because she just lost both of her kids. Um, and I feel like, I don't know if with the, book does with with that but i i just think that there's something gonna there's some strife between her and corliss moving forward yeah and i felt i mean i think that they were definitely a marriage for love for sure so i think they're gonna kind of figure it out but they are just under so much stress and pressure right now and unfortunately corley's is unfortunately corley's was in a bad situation because he kind of can't name bela and Reyna heirs to Driftmark because that would just like solidify their family's belief that Jace and Luke aren't trueborn. So he kind of couldn't do what she wanted him to do. It would have been nice, a good way to honor Lena's legacy. But as far as the um, political landscape of the time, he wouldn't have been able to do that and been okay. So and, you know, maintained the safety of their house. So I think he made a wise decision with that. And I am interested to see because Rainey's has a really, really big moment. And it's just her, it just, it just solidifies her character for me. She's so badass, but I think that that's a season two moment. So, um, mm. I think by the time all is said and done, people are going to love Rainies. And, um, that kind of tops us out for this episode, but don't worry. We're going to be back every Tuesday on couchsuit.com during season one to recap every episode of House the Dragon and spill the tea. Yeah. And so if you are a member, you get it on Tuesdays on, couchsoup.com or you can get it on youtube on wednesdays and all the podcast platforms but make sure you hit that like button 
hit hit us up in the comments to tell us what it was like seeing Vagar on screen for her big flight that we got with Eamon this time. Let us know what lore you'd like us to dive into because we definitely need more things to talk about because we could just talk all day. Um, And then we will see you next week with all the fire and soup.